Hello, everybody. It's me, Jen Delavea, your host of Culinary Word of the Day, coming to you from a sunny fall Brooklyn. And this is Alicia Book coming from an equally sunny Long Island. It's actually a beautiful day out. I, you know, this is going to air later, but I would suggest I'm hoping everyone gets outside today because it's beautiful. Maybe it'll be a lovely reminder and memory of what used to be nice outside. That's true. (laughs) That's true. We'll listen back and remember this beautiful day. Yeah. Hey, we're we're a li- we're preserving these feelings. Yes. <laughs> <And> <laughs> this is what we're here for. We're preserving knowledge and, and emotion and feelings of uh, a, a, a moment in time. A moment in time. I, I could get really corny right now and say, like, isn't that what a good meal is? Oh. Preserving a moment of time with friends and family. Goodness. Uh, Alicia's on a roll. I, already on a roll. <laughs> on a dinner roll <laughs> ooh, ooh, that was damn good. that was good damn all right <laughs> welcome back everybody to our behind the scenes podcast of culinary word of the day where we round up a little bit more deeper history deeper context and answer your cooking questions and to be honest mostly alicia's cooking questions uh as we research all of these words it's a very big job it's a beautiful job. I love it's a, it. Oh, look at you. You're really just coming in I'm there in with it. the supporting commentary. I'm in it today. I'm in it. You're really in the pocket. I'm excited. So since our last episode, we realized that we didn't cover something that was very important to the word stir fry. I guess, you know, we got carried away, uh, tossed away, uh, <laughs> tossing away in a pan. <laughs> Uh, Very excited to talk about stir frying in general, but there was a principle that we sort of overlooked. We mentioned it in the uh, definition of stir fry, but we didn't really discuss it at length. And that is the concept of wok hay. And actually, and this was the first time I'd heard about stir fry before, you know, we started doing our, you know, started working on all this, but I had never heard of wok hay before. So I got really interested in what this term meant and how it was applicable um, and when I talked to you, Jen, about it, you, you knew what it was. So mm. <laughs> which it, it always makes me excited when I think I'm learning something new and just like, oh, of course I knew that, Alicia. I'm no, like, that's not how I say it. <laughs> I know it's not how it goes. <laughs> it's never like that, but, it, but it's, it's exactly more exciting when I bring her a word and she gets into it with me. So yeah. Uh, I had a a really wonderful privilege of growing up in California where there is a very diverse Chinese community. And I would say that I grew up with with a majority of Cantonese style cooking. And this is where a lot of the stir frying and wok hay originates. Um, I I think in New York City, we we have also a a very diverse um, combination of, of Chinese cultures, but we also, I feel like is very trendy right now to eat a lot of Szechuan, which is very spicy. It has the Szechuan um, peppercorn, which has a buzzy feeling in your mouth. And yeah, it's, it's not, it also has a bunch of stir frying, but Cantonese cooking is the one that really hones in on what is wok hay. And what does that term mean? It means breath of the wok. (laughs) It's very like poetic, isn't it? I mean, yeah, but that's like, that's sort of the beauty of it. Um, I think there's a little bit, um, when I read more about stir frying and Cantonese, like cooking a little bit, which I didn't really know anything about, you know, I was only really exposed to Americanized Chinese food. Mm -hmm. Um, So the style and how to cook it was, is still kind of um, new to me. Uh, But there is the way people talk about stir frying and using the wok, um, the language in which a lot of chefs use did sound sort of poetic. Like it wasn't just like they're throwing stuff into a pan and making sure it gets cooked. So it's like the way it was cooked, the the order in which it was put in, um, how it was chopped. And, um, and that's what actually really caught my attention was that it wasn't just chefs talking about food. It was really like the way in which they wrote about it, spoke about it and talked about it, which I thought was very cool. Mm-hmm. There is an art to stir frying. I mean, we, we spoke about the technicalities of it in mm-hmm. the last episode where cutting things to uniform size so that they cook evenly is important. Uh, Stir frying doesn't take very long, but in that Mm -hmm. very short interval, this is where the wok hay magic happens because the the wok is at a very high temperature and creates a very specific smoky essence. And this is, this is what we're referring to. The wok hay is this very unique kind of, uh, 
yeah, the flavor, the smokiness, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not burnt. Yes. It's moving at such a high rate that, uh, and it's moving so so quickly in the pan that it creates this um, whole nother atmosphere, <laughs> which is so cool. And I yeah. pulled up a, an extra article here um, from the New York Times by J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, the elements of wok hay and how to capture them at home. The elusive smoky flavors and aromas of stir fry can be achieved in your home kitchen. And I'll make sure to put this link in our show notes. Um, But let's see. Here it is. What is the flavor? Where does it come from? What's so different about cooking in a restaurant? Um, And in his testing, um, in his work as a recipe developer at Cooks Illustrated, he did this series of blind taste tests, stir-frying noodles, beef, vegetables in Western-style skillets um, versus a nonstick wok and a well-seasoned carbon steel wok, uh, which is pretty interesting. Lan Lam has written a more recent article from Cooks Illustrated. This has to do with the chemical interactions between the food and the layers of polymerized oils on the surface of a seasoned wok. Jeez, so complex. Mm. It's also tied to the unique action of stir frying in a wok. You'll you'll see it in um, Cantonese restaurants. It's it's more of like a wrist flicking toss. So the food kind of runs up the side of the curved walk and then kind of flies backward into the center of the walk. So it's like kind of like juggling almost. (laughs) Good way to describe it. Yeah. So continuing in the article, it then drops back down onto the hot surface of the walk where the surface moisture is revaporized and the cycle repeats. Um, And so the walk is allowing you to constantly toss the food in its own vapors and that's why it's so unique and uniform pretty cool it is pretty cool and it's it's worth watching some of those chefs also you know, perform the action of it too um because it's impressive to sort of constantly watch the motion and everything staying in the pan and just the movement itself yeah yeah it's really special it's really cool to watch um i believe there are also visual examples on um there's a netflix show i think it's called street food asia and there are a few people who who use wok hay or even blow torches to to augment this this um this environment because uh you cannot achieve wok hay outside of a wok you can't do it in a flat flat bottomed uh, skillet or cast iron because you don't have that unique curvature to toss the food back. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's just such a cool concept. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you, Alicia, for bringing that up again. I'm so sad we, we had missed it last time, but Hey, we have the opportunity to cover things that we miss in the next episode. That's the beautiful part of the behind the scenes. Yes. We get to to do what we want a little bit with it, which is always fun. Independence. It feels great. Um, For this episode, though, we are going to focus now on three new words that we've uh, made episodes about. They are broiling, frying, and deep frying. These are all wonderful cooking methods and incredibly complex. (laughs) In the case of the latter two, I don't know if broiling is very complex, but See, I would somewhat disagree with that one. Oh, okay. Please once do a, tell. Once again, the non-chef here, but I have made I've made many mistakes while broiling. Ah. <laughs> I mean, it generally all leads down to like the main basic mistake, which is leaving it broiling for too long. Mm-hmm. But I do find that time is of the essence with broiling, and I never seem to get that timing correct. So I, I think it is a tricky thing to do. I think it I think frying and deep frying are their own you know, beast, let's say, um, you yes. know, making sure you stay safe while you do those actions. But broiling, I think is a little bit, it can be tricky, especially if new ovens, like you've got a brand new oven, you're using mm. new stuff, different foods, you know, what you're trying to go. I think there's, there's like a lot of elements to broiling that can make it a little tricky. Sure. Okay. I'll take it back. <laughs> broiling. Say, depending, depending on your level, depending on your level of cooking sure. skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The key thing to remember about broiling is that the heat element is coming from the top. And 
you know, versus the baking aspect in an oven, which comes from the bottom of the oven. And you'll see this in different models, or maybe tell me if you've, you've experienced this, but sometimes the broiler is not at the top of the oven. So broiling happens from above, but if you have a broiler drawer, which is separate, it uses the bottom heating element and there's a drawer underneath the main oven. Have you seen that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people keep uh, their spare baking sheets and cookie sheets in that drawer, <laughs> but okay. it's actually a broiler. Uh, imagine with me, uh, my, uh, okay, how do I describe this? Sea level. Let's talk about this in terms of sea level. Perfect. Love that. <laughs> sea level is the oven, the main oven. Some models of oven have the baking element under the sea. That's the sea floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some ovens have another heating element at the top, which is in the mountains, but that's your broiler sometimes. And so what you would do to broil foods is to put a baking baking rack toward the top there. Mm -hmm. But earlier, what I'm referring to, though, is some models of oven have just the the under the sea heating element. Mm -hmm. And under that is another drawer. And so if you're using the oven, (laughs) the heating (laughs) is coming from the bottom. But if you're using the broiler drawer, the heating is coming from above. So it's using that same heating element. Okay. So you either go up or down. (laughs) But either way, it'll still make your food crispy on top. Yes. So again, broiling is from above and Mm -hmm. it's only one side of the food. Mm -hmm. So if you would like to cook the difference or the other side, it must be flipped after the first side has been broiled. And typically broiling is a short amount of time, depending on how thick or big the food object is. So vegetables, I would say, are on the shorter end (laughs) of broiling. Mm -hmm. Meats, depending how thick they are, if it's thinly cut, very, very short. Mm-hmm. If it's a steak or something um, thicker inch or two inches, uh, then yeah, it's going to take a little bit longer because the surface area is, is much bigger right. and its depth is much bigger. But the key things to remember with broiling, don't leave it alone. <laughs> See, that's sometimes people, some people think you can put something in an oven and walk away for a minute or two. No. Not the case with broiling. Baking, sure. If if something mm-hmm. is baking at a lower temperature, it's lo- lower risk. <laughs> but broiling, because it's such a high heat situation, you do not want to walk away to the other side of the house. <laughs> right. So uh, things you should do or keep in mind, if you have an oven light, keep it on so that you can see into the oven. But if you cannot, uh, you can give it a peek without disrupting the heating process. But be careful. It is high heat. So you could Mm -hmm. steam yourself in the face. (laughs) Oh, that's good to know. Watch out. Watch out. Uh, Yeah. And you just want to keep an eye on it because you're going to create your, uh, you know, bringing about the Maillard reaction faster Mm -hmm. in the broiling process. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. So I have a question though. If during this process at all, can your food ever catch on fire in the oven? Yes, because the heating element is directly above the food. And sometimes you do want to do that. I mean, sometimes you want to recreate grilling or barbecue if you do Mm -hmm. not have the opportunity to barbecue or grill in your home. (laughs) Interesting. Would you have to cook the meat separately first and then would you sort of broil it quickly to kind of get that char on top get or the finish. Can... Yes. The finish. Right. I would want to get that meat to a safe temperature, depending mm-hmm. on what it is. You can look up food thermometer episode to, to talk about doneness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, broiling is usually a finishing move. Great. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. I do have a, another question though. Is there any food that are sort of interesting to broil? Like I wouldn't think about it, but like might be delicious to throw in there to get a little bit of caramelization, like like yeah. burning sugar or anything like that, that, you know, like I know you can do crumble, but is there anything else that might be sort of tasty that's out of the realm of thinking? Aha, you've touched on something that is a great food tip. 
if you do not have a food torch, you can use a broiler to achieve mm. not quite the same because a, a food torch is targeted and you can control <laughs> like what areas are caramelized, but broiling will get you pretty close to that. So yeah, creme brulee is a great example. Um, you can brulee uh, so many other things like fruit. You could put a layer of sugar on some fruit and broil that and it will create a glassy layer on top. Mm. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Um, things that you don't know that you probably have been broiling this whole time, or when you get it in a restaurant, you, you, you're like, Ooh, how do they get that cool color on it? Lasagna. Mm -hmm. Really? Yes. So you can bake lasagna with the foil on top for however long it cooks, but then you take the foil off, move it to the top of the oven and broil that for another minute or two. And you're going to get that cool, like you know, burny, bubbly, like molten loveliness on top. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then process wise, um, you can broil eggplants. Uh, mm. So this is a step in the beginning of cooking or making baba ganoush. Have you had baba ganoush? I have. Love baba yeah. ganoush. Yeah. It's an eggplant dip. And mm -hmm. what you do to create that soft eggplant texture is mm -hmm. to broil the eggplant for like an hour. You're like really yeah. charring it. So yeah, you, you'd broil the eggplant a lot. I'm talking about a large, like a large eggplant. You're broiling it for maybe 30 minutes and then you mm -hmm. flip it over, broil the other side for another 30 minutes and it's charred to heck. It's, wow. it's going to be charred to heck, but we want that. Because we mm -hmm. peel off that skin and the interior is super soft. And then you can blend it up into the dip. Wow. I would have, I can't say I ever looked into making it myself, but that is very interesting. I would have never thought, I do have a question though. If you're charring the eggplant, does that end up smoking or not really? Sometimes, um, depending okay. on the uh, size of the eggplant and how burning it's going to be, uh, it mm -hmm. might smoke. But generally in my experience, it has not. You okay. might smell it happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> but so it's totally okay. Just is work with a big eggplant. Big eggplant, okay. Is there anything else a smoked eggplant can do for us? Um, it can be great as like a caprese salad with tomato, mozzarella, and basil. Ooh. So you can broil eggplant, uh, peel off the skin, and then use that flesh any which way you want. You it, you can eat it like in a salad after that, or have it as a cold side dish. You can also make a, what is it called? Caponata. You can make caponata with, with a broiled eggplant. And you'll notice the huge texture difference from a raw eggplant to the broiled eggplant. It gets super, um, just really luxurious. <laughs> yes. I always love when that word comes out with food talk. It's mm -hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But also, do you need anything else like in order to broil certain stuff? Like, is there any other tools you need in the kitchen that are like kind of very specific to this? Aha, uh -huh. yes. So a beginner cook could get away with um, a pan that is oven safe, like a cast iron or a skillet that doesn't have mm -hmm. like a, a rubber or plastic handle. Those things can get you through some small boil broiling projects. But in the end, you probably really want to invest in some sheet pans uh, mm -hmm. of varying sizes. So I use a lot of um, quarter sheet because I, I live alone and that's really good for individual portions. But uh, most households will have half sheet pans. And this is different from cookie sheets because cookie sheets are just flat. They don't have any... Um, guardrails. <laughs> so Interesting. yeah, so sheet pans have uh, a lip so that liquids will not escape in case mm -hmm. there are liquids in the cooking process. Um, so a sheet pan is a great investment. Uh, number two, mitts, kitchen mitts or dry cooking towels so that you can remove the hot thing from the oven is very important. Um, I always say dry, dry dry cooking towels or kitchen towels because have you ever tried to grab anything with a wet towel yes ouch yes yep 
<laughs> I was going to say, it's not fun. I mean, the good part about I think the season one is like, I can just talk about all the mistakes I've made. And be like, <laughs> how can we correct them? If anyone's listening and they're, they're sort of getting into cooking for the first time, I'll tell you all the mistakes and like, really don't ever pick up that wet towel and then go to the oven. <laughs> don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. Don't oh, do it. Um, yes, be very careful when working with any kind of kitchen towel. Make sure it's absolutely dry or you might burn yourself. It's a very surprising thing that happens sometimes even to me because uh, I'm not looking or I'm not paying attention. Um, additionally, you need uh, somewhere to put the hot object. So what if you're you're cooking a lot of other things, your whole stove is taking up space, like there's pots and pans already there. Uh, where are you going to put the hot? broiling pan uh you need a landing spot and so uh for that you don't want to put it directly on your kitchen table because you might burn it so invest in some trivets or fold up more of those dry kitchen towels <laughs> and at least do two layers of folded towels so that you don't um create like a a burn mark which i have done on many tables i would say that's actually good advice for apartment living because also equally, like I've pulled stuff out of the oven and been like, I've where do I no put it? <laughs> nowhere. Like I'm like, it's going in the sink. This is just going in the sink. It's Goodbye a very food, unique know. problem to New York. Very unique yes. problem. <laughs> so always plan ahead. Where are those hot pans going? Where's the next move going? Yes, I, that is generally good advice when you're working with food for the first time or cooking for the first time. Uh, where are you going to put it? yeah <laughs> you're and just gonna be holding bit. a hot pan for like 10 <laughs> minutes like oh man yeah like what do I do like what, what like what where do I, do I put it because the oven's hot yeah like you can't if you put it back in it's gonna burn you know yeah. it's gonna burn like you had an allocated amount of time and it's up like it's gotta go somewhere oh no um but yes plan ahead folks yeah. if you're getting into cooking so we talked about like the smoking element a little bit with the eggplants, but what would your advice actually be if you're in an apartment and you have to put that thing, let's say back in the oven and it burns and it's broiling and it, it gets smoky. I, it, does it get more smoky than other things? Is it the usual sort of amount of smoke? Is there a difference? Oh man. Um, broiling can smoke a little bit. Some healthy smoke is okay, but if it mm -hmm. starts looking like a cloud, you are burning it. Okay. Uh, and so turn on your vents, open your windows. If you have a space to bring the dish outside at any opportunity, um, that usually helps. In an apartment building, it's not easy because you go into the hallway and there's another fire alarm out there. Uh, I'm sure you're panicking by this point because your fire alarm is going off and then you set off the building fire alarm. Okay, so uh, windows, important if you're going to start broiling. <laughs> Open the windows, turn on the vent uh, in case of emergency. Uh, if you can rush outside with a hot thing, make sure you're saying the word hot in case you see other people. <laughs> These are such great tips, actually. But you can uh -huh. avoid all this by simply paying attention to the food and removing it when it's time to remove it yes <laughs> words wise words to alicia 10 years ago this is a, a restaurant industry thing too so mm -hmm. you know how oh. i don't you probably have heard uh, in tv shows you say behind when you're mm -hmm. behind somebody well there are modifiers to that so if you're passing behind anyone in a kitchen uh to you know you're it's you're trying to be safe you say behind and mm -hmm. you move past them or they'll move, uh, you know, away so that, that you can pass. Um, the modifier for that is behind sharp uh, in case you're holding a knife. Mm -hmm. Never hold a knife out toward other people. Always hold it toward yourself uh, <laughs> and just say sharp behind. Or you mm -hmm. can say hot behind, <laughs> which is always a joke at every restaurant I work at because <laughs> you're like, Hot behind. You <laughs> just get a little wild in the kitchen. Or you can reverse it for a less sexy version. Behind, hot, or hot, hot, hot. Um, and then another common one is corner, because sometimes there are blind corners in restaurants. If you're coming up the stairs and there's a corner and you can't see anybody, you just say corner ahead of you so that anyone that's rushing in the doorway will stop. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. that's good. I mean, to know. Um, yeah. It's also good to know if you're you know, in a restaurant, you're trying to find a bathroom or something and you hear like someone yelling out, like to pay attention to see if somebody is 
carrying hot plates or something like that. They may be yelling out to their other servers, but if you happen to wander into some place you're not really supposed to You know to, pay, to back up against the wall. <laughs> exactly. Kind of like get out of the way, like pay attention to your surroundings because you don't want soup all over you. It's yeah. pretty funny. I think that um, restaurant people, like they definitely like game recognize game. Like they know <laughs> that when I'm walking to the bathroom and I see a server coming toward me, I I turn my body so that mm-hmm. I'm kind of almost standing against the wall and I put my hands behind my back. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I don't want to cause anyone to drop anything. And so <laughs> they notice that I'm a food industry person sometimes when I'm walking around the space, <laughs> even if These I'm like a customer. Real hidden secrets here too now. So yeah. like, if you guys want to seem like you're really in the know when you go to the restaurant, now you know what to do. Just be really aware of your surroundings. Be conscious of servers. Like, I think a lot of... Um, older generations treat servers as like servants, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, there's a, there's a certain level of respect you need to like give back yeah. to the restaurant industry. And w- this is like one way is like learning the ways of it so that you can navigate the space. It's pretty good. I mean, that's good to know. And it's it's like important to be respectful of that kind of thing, especially we're having a little bit of a drought in the service industry because oh I my think gosh. there's a lack of respect. Yeah, um, there's a huge lack of respect. Um, there are people out there who demand, you know, I want my food now, now, now. I want it this way. I want it that way. Um, you know, without increasing the rates of the food or the labor costs. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going through a revolution right now. I think. I think a lot of um, restaurant groups and people, individuals are really taking it into their own hands to remodel and rethink the way that we operate. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I hope we like, get to touch upon that a couple of times or a little bit more as we talk about these different words, because I think it's something that people don't always appreciate or fully understand. And I think a lot of people want to understand that, but they don't. I think it's hard if you've never worked in the industry, you know, yeah. and I'm speaking for somebody who I have never worked in the industry, you know, i you know, I'm learning from some osmosis from you just because I hear you kind of talk about different things that you do. And I'm like, wow, like that's really tough. Like it's a tough, it's a tough industry to be in. It's a tough job. And it's one that I don't think people can really see all the different layers and things you guys have to go through. So yeah. I think any insight behind what's going on and the changes that may be happening, I think will be helpful or they're helpful to me anyway. Okay. That was a good amount of information about broiling. Yes. I thought a little bit more than I think we I anticipated in a good way. <laughs> this always happens to us. We get so you know, excited. You know what? But I feel like it's good. I feel like keeping that energy going though is like good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't get doesn't get dry then. At least you know, or I hope it's not getting dry. <laughs> not if you put it in the broiler. Probably not. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next word we're going to tackle is a, is a big one considerably, uh, which is frying. Tasty one. Tasty. So tasty. Yeah, we're actually we'll end this episode in some tasty concepts of frying. I know. I know. I can't wait. So hit me with it. What about frying do you have questions about? So many, so many. But (laughs) (laughs) I do want to start. This one is actually um, not bothered me, but I've been interested in a while is if I want to start frying if I use different oils, is it going to taste differently? Or, you know, if I take a different fat, um, I want to say oil first, because I feel like oil is the first thing I'm going to reach for in a kitchen sure. to, to do. And like, is there a best oil to use? Is there a, the best flavor, but not the best one to use universally? Like what's going on there with the flavor there? There is a subtle difference between the frying oils and uh, there are some restrictions, but the key thing to remember about any oil that you fry with is that it's neutral oil. Neutral. Why is it neutral? Because it doesn't have a lot of flavor to impart itself. (laughs) Um, So there are subtle differences, but uh, there is canola, vegetable, peanut oil, safflower oil. Those are generally the big ones that people fry with at home. And they do not have a lot of flavor on their own. But what you'll find is that they have kind of different viscosity and um, impart different kinds of just essences when when they are fried, like they augment foods in different ways. And the one that I like a lot personally, but I cannot use a lot is peanut oil (laughs) because it is a 
a really dangerous allergen for a lot of people that I cook for. So if it's mm-hmm. just for me, I would like to use peanut oil more often. But because it's an oil and it can stick to things, there is a high chance of cross-contamination. I like peanut oil because it has its own nuttiness. Is there specific foods that call for peanut oil to be, or is it, could be anything? You know, it you could can be do, anything. I know uh, like, Really Burger great with French fries. Yes, exactly. It's French, French fries. fries. Okay. <laughs> Delicious. But it's a really big allergen. So <laughs> people have been shying away from it. Understandably so. Yeah. Um, yeah, because now that, yeah. Wow. Okay. I got lost. That's, that is blowing my mind, actually. That's good job, Jed. And you, you I mean, me there, are some, there are some that are extracted from the peanut itself. But mm-hmm. as you know, when you crush up peanuts what happens <laughs> and make peanut butter <laughs> make peanut butter yeah it's a deliciousness so the extraction process um varies i right. need to look look into it more I, it sounds i'm getting hungry i won't lie to you there's, <laughs> there's a hunger element that's creeping into my life right now um, on that note though like what is the best food in your opinion to fry in its own fat <gasps> duck. About i would oh. say duck really but this is um that's that's sort of different. Duck is more of a confit situation because it's a low temperature preservation method, which is not exactly frying because it doesn't get up to a frying temperature. Okay. But uh, duck fried in its own fat is fantastic. Potatoes mm. fried in duck fat, fantastic. Um, chicken, chicken fat or schmaltz is not really common for cooking itself, but mm-hmm. what a lot of people use to fry chicken is lard. <laughs> oh, okay. Because yeah. there is a higher volume of it from processing pork. Interesting. Chickens are so small, you can't render tons of fat from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is possible. I mean, the existence of schmaltz it proves that, you know, it has some fat, but not enough to fry things in. <laughs> you get to that real, real crazy mm-hmm. frying level of it. And speaking of French fries again, um, a lot of fast food establishments used to fry their french fries in beef fat really mm-hmm. but you know it's not vegetarian so <laughs> interesting okay yeah so that because if you're vegetarian that might be your only choice if you go to some of these fast food places yeah probably not but, less so now but back at different points in history it's incredible to me how far fast food has come uh to be plant-based Interesting. Very interesting. It is interesting. And I wonder, is it cheaper overall to be more plant-based for fast food chains? Or is that a conversation that we need to, I don't know. Oh, I, don't, I have no idea. I want yeah, to know. That might be something worth looking into for like a later episode because that it might be, I'm like wondering if it's an ethical thing or if it's more of like a commercial thing. Do you know what it's I mean? Probably commercial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, is vegetable oil just like a lot? I feel like, yeah, like corn or soy or vegetable oils, oh. pork Oil, a lot corn oil than. is definitely another one that is used a lot because we make so much corn in the United States. We do. It's we do. Amazing. We're going to talk about that one day too. <laughs> yes. Corn is coming. Corn is a big one. Corn yeah. is a gigantic entry, I would say. Corn industry. <laughs> it's just, I, I, we did that word sort of recently and I didn't realize what I was getting myself into when we started with the one word of corn. I was like, oh, like maybe we'll cover a couple of different things, how to eat it, how to make it. I was like, oh no. No, this is a monster. So we're not we're not going to get distracted from frying right now. We're talking about corn. <laughs> frying. We're talking about frying now. We're talking about frying right now. So I actually have, well, sort of how like you might prep corn for eating sometimes. Do you actually, is there anything before you fry something that's worth prepping? Like uh, my question is sort of, does it burn? Like I think of putting stuff in frying oil and like it's so hot and it's going to cook really quickly and sort of not burn, but. I can't, I'm not, I'm trying to picture like, do spices stay on? Is there anything I would do to help with the flavor? It doesn't mm-hmm. burn off during cooking. So there are things you can do to proteins before frying them. So mm-hmm. one is brining. So that is soaking a chicken or a turkey in a, solu- a salty solution. Um, and that helps it stay moist and uh, you don't have to season it with salt beforehand. But there's also just seasoning it with salt and pepper beforehand. There's also marinating and dry rubs. Um, But you'd want to strain off any excess marinade so that it doesn't pop back at you in the oil. And then I think that's what I think about sometimes is if you put some of that stuff in, if it has too much stuff, it 
comes right back out. And you're yeah, like, you'd have no. to drain it off or pat it dry with paper towels. Okay. Um, so dry rubs would work in this situation. And then we're slightly going to get into this um, in in deep frying, but you can also dredge. Dredging is, um, you know, pressing or or coating coating the protein in flour and some seasonings before frying it. So a uh, a low effort frying dish that you would need to dredge is chicken paillard. Have you ever had chicken paillard? I have. Delicious. Yeah, that is a chicken breast that is pounded thin, mm-hmm. um, lightly seasoned, and then you you toss it on both sides in flour and then fry it and it becomes like a cutlet sort of, which is ready to receive a paillard sauce or butter. And I thought for some reason, I thought paillard did not have flour on it because I was always told it was sort of like the diet chicken on the menu. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> if you want, you get the butter sauce on the side and it's like, you know, the chicken that doesn't come with any other carbs. And it's like, that's, Oh, interesting. Um, so it doesn't have outright breading. So it doesn't have, so dredging is the process of coating a protein, but mm-hmm. in deep frying, there are two more steps in the dredging process. So paillard okay. is just flour and okay. it's not egg and breadcrumb. So it doesn't have like the carby mm-hmm. carb. I mean, it still gotcha. has some carb because it's flour, but it mm-hmm. is significantly less than a chicken tender. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, so now I can I can continue on my guilt. Light you're guilt free. Uh, <laughs> I mean, chicken paillard is a great like it's a white meat, but you are still frying it, and they're still served with lots of butter. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I'm just I may keep like Livia my blissful end. Like okay, oh, <laughs> just won't pop me. the bubble. Okay. I, won't, I won't pop the bubble. You know what? I I could order the salad. I chose not to order the salad. You know what I mean? Like I made a choice. <laughs> so and like I may even order the French fries on the side too. It's like fine. So fantastic. We'll talk about that. Um, is there anything though? So I'm thinking once again, like this marinade kind of splashing back in my face. What do I need to do with the actual frying? Like, is there anything I need to have on hand to make sure like I'm ready to put something in, pull something out? Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're actually, this is funny. We're talking a lot about like the prep around some food now, which I think is great, you know, like, to make sure like, what do we have to have on hand to kind mm-hmm. of get some of these processes done? So um, this applies to both frying and deep frying. So if you're using a shallow amount of oil or even a large amount of oil, there are a few ways to check if the oil is hot enough or uh, ready to fry. Uh, So you can't just stick a thermometer and be in there. I mean, you can if you have one um, and you have the notation in a recipe that tells you the specific temperature it needs to be at. But one easy way without using tools to figure out is um, if you have any bread around the house, like cut a cube of a small cube of bread or cut a few small cubes of bread and put it in the oil. And if you see it simmering and Mm -hmm. it starts to turn golden brown, then your, your frying oil is ready. But if the cube doesn't sizzle, your oil is not hot enough. (laughs) and if it sizzles a little too much pops and turns black your oil is too hot (laughs) and so if it's too hot do you take it off the burner do you just lower the heat what's your next move if it's smoking try Mm -hmm. to remove the pot from the heat to an inactive burner as fast but slowly (laughs) as fast as you can but slowly very carefully don't spill that oil you just don't want any smoke but mm-hmm. if it's just overcooking and a little too brown, just turn the heat down. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Once again, yeah, I've gotten myself into many of these sticky situations. So it's <laughs> good to really know the appropriate thing to do. And if you do not have any bread in the house, uh, you know what works next? What? A wooden chopstick. Really? You stick it down, touch the bottom of the pan, and if you see the little bubbles forming... If you see bubbles actively rising off of the chopstick, your fry oil is ready. That's good to know. If you don't see the bubbles, not hot enough. And if you see the wood starting to toast, it's too Mm -hmm. hot. It's too hot. (laughs) Question. I'm assuming if you had one of those like really long baking toothpicks, could you also use that instead of a chopstick? I haven't tried it myself. So if folks want to try it and let me know, I have a feeling it might be too small to see the bubbles. Gotcha. 
but yeah, you, you can use a wood implement to see um, if there are bubbles rising off the oil. Because I think what's what's funny about wood is that it soaks in ambient moisture, but not mm-hmm. enough to hurt you. It's not going to pop pop back at you. Interesting. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Sort of a safe tool in the kitchen, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, well, do we, is there, is that something that I guess, is that for a safer tool is, do we need anything like what, like what are the best like materials to use when stir fry? Like, would you want something metal? Do you want um, something that helps with the splatter? What are things that are good to have in the kitchen for this? Oh yeah. You want a spatula. So if you're you if you're trying to flip a patty of some sort, or like mm-hmm. a patty or a chicken breast, you'll want a frying spatula. There are several kinds of spatulas in the world, so uh, <laughs> uh, I'm very being very specific about a frying heat safe spatula. And my favorite actually to use is a metal fish spatula. Uh, specifically because it is longer. So mm-hmm. I don't know when was the last time you made pancakes? <laughs> a while a ago. Lot. No, actually, surprise. You make it a lot. Oh, okay. I do. It's actually my eggs mostly go into pancake making. It's not great. It's not great, but it's That's funny. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, a regular spatula might be too small for a large pancake. So I like to use a fish spatula, which is longer. We did actually get the fish spatula for pancakes. <laughs> we have one. Of, we got one of those oversized spatulas, but it didn't fit in the pan. So we had to go back and like run to Target and be like, what are we going to use? And they had a fit. I think you and I had actually talked about it somewhat recently. This was like probably. And that's seven. why you went to go get it. Yeah. And that's literally, I, that's like, that's the essence of what happened is that we were, we were on a pancake journey. It started around last Christmas and didn't end there. Um, but Incredible. you and I had conversations about spatulas ahead of time. And I was like, we should need, we should get a fish spatula, fish spatula. Jen talks about it all the time. Yes. Let's incorporate this. I love them. Um, another thing to have is a wooden spoon. Uh, so if you're not flipping something, but you're stirring wood is really great. Uh, I prefer that over metal because metal will scratch up, um, certain finishes on cast iron or carbon steel, those sorts of things. Uh, and also hurts your ears. I don't, I don't really like it (laughs) myself. Um, uh, tongs really helpful. Uh, if you have a big pot or a big pan, get longer tongs so you don't have to reach your hand into it. Short tongs, you know, you'd, you'd uh, reach the heat source a little sooner, but uh, tongs are great. Um, and then something my roommates introduced to me a couple years ago was a, what is it called? A frying, a frying guard or a lid. So you can simply just use a saucepan lid um to to kind of block any splattering oil um but you also don't want it to steam because that will sort of soggy up the breading on anything um so you would want to use a lid but not put it all the way on you'd kind of have it askew or use it Mm -hmm. kind of like a captain america shield Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but another thing to use is a fry guard or um a splatter guard. They come in either a mesh metal or I've seen now there are silicone models uh, that are heat safe so that you don't um, hurt yourself or if something is popping a little too much, but you still want it to fry, you can Mm -hmm. use those. Optional Um, though. Yeah. Those are great for the cleanup too, because Mm. you're not getting, you're getting less splatter. Um, all of it. I, one of my aunts, I think, introduced me to that kind of early on. She's like, it'll help your cleaning up afterwards if you're frying. I think I was, this is when I was younger and like frying more things than I care to admit. But, um, and she was just like, this will be great. You'll appreciate like how much there's not going to be grease everywhere. I think I was getting it. I don't know, not what I was doing, but there's a lot of grease. <laughs> and this, the, the, that kind of very much helped the cleanup afterwards. So if you're doing like a big frying day, it's very helpful to have one of those. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think um, how much oil should go into the pan? Because as we're talking about splattering out, that was, I think, a lesson that I didn't learn, quite frankly. So what? how much do you know? Like, how much do you put in? How do you know you put it in? What's, like, what do you do with that? I generally do uh, a tablespoon of oil per cup or half pound of material. And so um, a lot of stir fries or a lot of, like, full 
things that are going to fill the whole pan, mm-hmm. it can go up to two tablespoons because if okay. you go up even more, like mm-hmm. the, the principle is to coat the bottom of the pan evenly. Okay. And it's not making a pool unless you're getting into shallow frying. So we just want to coat the bottom of the pan. But once we get into more of like a gathering situation where we're getting a half cup cup of oil, we're getting into the fry, we're getting into frying and shallow frying. On that note, should we move into the deeper end of oh frying? yes? Let's go off the deep end. Let's the deep there. frying. <laughs> the tastier part. No, actually, frying in itself is very tasty. So deep frying is very, very tasty, but frying in itself is pretty tasty. But I actually, I think we should start this off a little bit with some of the safety concerns of deep frying. Because I think that's, <laughs> yes. Once again, I think we can round it out with the tastiness of it, but I think it is important that we kind of cover what can kind of go wrong with deep frying, but also some of the foodborne illnesses with food deep frying. Because that I actually didn't really know as much about. Um, and I think we should just talk about that for like a second is what can kind of happen with food if you don't prep it appropriately, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you take this one away. Yeah, if you're not checking the internal temperature of your foods, um, you have a chance of poisoning poisoning yourself because um, just because something is browned and beautiful and crispy on the outside, it doesn't necessarily mean that the inside is fully cooked, Mm -hmm. especially if you're working with bigger pieces of, of meat like a a whole chicken breast or a whole turkey. Uh, Turkey is a very complex and dangerous one, actually. (laughs) Um, Yeah, in in food culture, we've seen uh, the popularity rise of deep fried turkeys. And I believe it is the number one reason people go to the hospital during Thanksgiving. Yes, which is a little (laughs) bit, which is a little bit crazy uh, to think about. Um, But what happens when, deep frying turkey goes wrong like why why are people going to the hospital what's well there are several things that could go wrong um Mm -hmm. because the oil is at a such a high temperature and if you had not dried your turkey enough so the way to get really really crispy skin for chicken and turkey is to actually Mm -hmm. let it air dry in the fridge uncovered so that it will uh evaporate Uh, a lot of its internal moisture, but because it's such a large bird, (laughs) it has crevices, it has (laughs) lots of internal meats. And um, I think a huge mistake that people make is when they're, they're dropping it in too fast. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the video um, of Alton Brown setting up a deep fryer for a turkey. It was very elaborate Mm -hmm. and he took every safety precaution. Um, he built a contraption where it was outdoors. Do not do this inside. Do not deep fry turkey inside because you will catch things on fire if it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but he created a pulley system. <laughs> I'm sure they sell sets like this now, but he created a pulley system so that he could lower the bird slowly into the oil. Because I, what I think what happens to some people is that they drop it. They just drop it in. Mm -hmm. And the shock of that, of all that moisture that's hidden inside the turkey, Mm -hmm. hitting the oil, the oil boils over. Gotcha. And in some cases can create propulsion, Mm -hmm. meaning a very hot turkey shoots Mm -hmm. out of the pot, which is very dangerous. It creates a projectile. And aren't they like 20 or 30 pound turkeys? So it's like a very hot things shooting through the sky yeah the- i mean well not necessarily through the sky but very close to you in your yard which is I, not safe <laughs> I, know, I like the visual of it just like shooting at the and like going above like, like little kids like watching the turkey go across the sky but yes let's stay on let's stay it's on like perfect that. perfect football uh, imagery actually. yeah you know it's like perfect thanks memory, football. Core memory um, forms. But yeah, it's mostly about controlling moisture and controlling the temperature mm-hmm. and administering it safely. So you can do it safely. Just make sure you're reading up on exactly the temperature you need. You have the space to accomplish this and try to keep pets and children out of the area. <laughs> uh, yes, that's actually, I think, a very good, because I think I've seen some things where kids wandering and people get distracted. And I think I've seen people drop the turkey in by yeah. accident. Oh god. And then, 
I mean, there's, all, I, there's just so many tricky accidents. So I think it's good to, you know, make sure we talk about that when it comes to don't, don't go into deep frying a turkey without doing your research for it first. Yeah. I would start with deep frying French fries and chicken first yeah. and then move your way up the ladder. Um, as an anecdote, though, I have a very small deep fryer that I keep indoors on my um, on my stove and mm-hmm. it's it's electrical and it's really tiny. It's for like uh, frying herbs or like frying like single servings of, of chicken tenders or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, if you're not diligent about cleaning the oil <laughs> or paying attention to the oil level, you mm-hmm. could actually overflow it so if it has this like very violent reaction with a wet piece of turkey imagine if you have very dirty oil and like cake batter or like funnel cake oh gosh it, it has overflowed onto my stove before and it uh is messy and dangerous and it was scary i was like yeah. ah, try to keep your oil clean your temperatures managed and uh you know have a fire extinguisher <laughs> Or try to do big projects outside. <laughs> and again, yeah. apartment living, there's it's yeah. tough. Uh, yeah, because I have a question. With that hot oil, you can't just use water. You, no. So I don't use a fire extinguisher, but then how do you clean it up? Is it? Ah, uh, cleaning it up after it's cooled down. There are lots mm-hmm. of things you can do. So um, salt can soak up a lot of this oil. Um, I don't really use paper towels. I use a lot of dish towels and rags. So I, I send those to the laundry as soon as I have a, a bag full of dirty, raggy, oily towels. Um, but flour is another thing that can um, soak it up on a stovetop. So if you have a pool of oil and you're like, oh man. And so mm-hmm. you, you sort of make a slurry with it or it'll absorb. And then you can sweep that up and, and put it in the trash. Ah, that's good to know, actually. Yeah. Um, all right, so maybe we should get some some of the, the funness of deep frying as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a very uh, beloved method of cooking in the United States of America. I've got to say, yes. <laughs> um, and so when I stumbled across different things, I mean, there's like a ton of stuff out there for deep frying. It was like a little bit hard to narrow down specifics, yes. scientific stuff, the chemistry behind deep frying. Um, but I thought one of the more interesting things we can just talk about this like briefly, I think, but like the psychological element uh-huh. of deep frying and how the food turns out. And I'm kind of curious on what your thoughts on that are. So like what I sort of read was a little bit about the crispiness, what the texture of the food is underneath. And I'll kind of let you go from there because I want to know if you have an opinion on this. You know. Oh, yes. There is some research uh, online and in academia about why we love crunchy textures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I believe there was also another NPR piece, but the thing that I'm going to reference a lot now is uh, a food scientist named Charles Spence. Uh, this is via uh, Mental Floss and several articles. Uh, there's a PDF that I can share in the show notes. But in 2003, Charles Spence decided to investigate the sonic appeal of chips in a formal setting. <laughs> He presented research subjects with a few cans of Pringles because Pringles are a uniform shape. So you can predict, you know, Uh, (laughs) so interesting. He had them eat 180 Pringles while seated in a soundproof booth in front of a microphone. And the sound of their crunching was looped back into a pair of headphones. So after consuming the cans, they were asked if they perceived any difference in freshness or crispness from one Pringle to another. <laughs> oh, Pringles. Yeah. And so what they didn't know is that Charles Spence had been playing the, with the feedback in the headphones. So he was mm-hmm. raising and lowering the volume of the crunching. And so that's why the answers varied. So at loud volumes, the chips were reported to be fresher. Chips huh. ingested while listening at low volume were thought to have been sitting out longer or stale or seemed softer, you know. So um, the duplicitous sounds resulted in a radical difference in chip perception. So it may have been a small study, but it really says a lot about how we perceive food through sound and texture. So noisy foods correlate with freshness. So the fresher the produce, like apples, celery, or lettuce, the right. more vitamins and nutrients are retained. And it's telling us 
what's in the food. So that's kind of the great trick of snack foods. The great, <laughs> you know, the great uh, prank they're all pulling on us is that the crisper it sounds, the more healthy it seems to be for us. <laughs> that is, that's like a magnificent way to think about like deep fried foods, like going to the state <laughs> fair and just be like, give me that deep fried butter. The crunchier it is, the better this butter is going to be for me today. The way my body thinks that yes. it's going to be good for me. But in my mind, right. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I know better, but I'm going to eat this butter instead of the butter I have at home because this butter <laughs> might be healthier for me. And I probably I, won't eat that butter at home because it's bad for me. And it's, I have to use it sparingly. I have not been to a state fair in years. And I am so curious to see what else now are they deep frying these days? I mean, in my day, it was a Snickers bar that was very revolutionary. Um, I, I have, I also haven't been to one in a minute. Um, but I did when I was in college and afterwards go to like actually a fair amount of ones. Um, because I had friends who found them very, very fascinating, but I, I did look online. Oh no. Just to, just to take like, a look because let's I hear had, it. Um, so Jezebel had an article and I think the funnest ones and take that with a grain of salt, I guess, was deep fried bubble gum. What? Yep. In (laughs) Texas. Um, and then which, and another, which seems to be pretty popular throughout the country, um, is deep fried liquids, most notably like deep fried beer. Yeah. My dad has had that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was pretty interesting because it still stays alcoholic. It's not fried. Yeah, it's not cooked long enough to burn the alcohol out. So you have to be 21 and over (laughs) to have deep fried beer. (laughs) That is so scary to me. I just thought that was so fascinating. And like they have deep fried lemonade, they have deep fried Kool-Aid, which the Kool-Aid one actually kind of made some sense to me. I was like, if you look in the plane of deep frying things, I was like, Kool-Aid, it's sugary. It's a fun color. Yeah. Like let's deep fry it. But the, the lemonade and beer, I was just like, beer is a stretch i was just like that's somebody really wanted to figure out another way they could make beer more fun and they they got there that scares me because what if there's a hole or you know like i'm sure they've had in the production of this a few mistakes like i think so so essentially what they do like i had to look it up i looked up like the step by step (laughs) it's essentially because i had to i was like how else do you fry how do you do that because even like stuff like ice cream i had to wrap my head around like you get it cold enough to put the batter on that's right okay so super, I actually, super I, frozen. It's super, super frozen. And then they had like ice cream covered cheeseburgers, which is the same concept. You have the cheeseburger. It's disgusting. <laughs> Every and everyone talks about how disgusting it is. Like no one be <laughs> nobody's on seemingly on the internet anyway. If I'm You're wrong, blowing my at, mind. You know, get it, get in here with the comments. But nobody's been on the che- the ice cream cheeseburger, deep fried ice cream cheeseburger. Because it just it's then it just becomes melty ice cream onto mm. a cheeseburger. And that's okay. Know, you know. But how do they do the beer? The beer, right. Sorry. So they're essentially little pockets of dough and you kind of cut them about ravioli size, which is, let's say like an inch and a half by an inch and a half, something like that, Uh two inches by two inches. And they make them, the batter is sort of thick enough that you can pour a little bit of beer on, you seal it up and then you (laughs) throw that in the fryer. So it's like probably like two tablespoons of beer. Oh, so they're small. Okay. They're small. They're small. It's not like cans worth of beer. That's scary. Yeah, That's so scary because no. yeah, like thinking about like a deep fried can or something. No, so it's like a little ravioli of beer. So I think it's like you know, biteable beer. It's beer bites, biteable fried beer bites. Ravioli. Beer. <laughs> so that's how I always describe it. It was like every article I kind of read, which is like not that many, but it was all said like ravioli size. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like if you can throw some marinara sauce in something, I guess you can throw some beer in. Yeah. Oh my god. I think gosh. the important part was to get it in that fire pretty quickly. I would love to hear from listeners about yes. the things that you've the the weirdest, strangest things that you've had deep fried. I would love to hear it. Um one of my favorite things that I've had deep fried is an egg. Really did cool. Your, did um, you do it yourself or did you no, do it for you? This is at a restaurant called Tempura Matsui, which is a higher end place, but it is an omakase style tempura restaurant where they deep fry things very like lovingly in front of you. Um, and tempura is a great practice that that uh, comes from Japan. And I, we, we discovered that it originates actually um, from Portugal. Mm-hmm. during the Lenten season, uh, but it was brought over to Japan in the colonial time. Uh, and 
it's a lighter batter. It's, it doesn't use any breading versus the American style of frying um, or batter frying things. So this is a batter, but it's made with different kinds of flour and it's lighter. It's very crisp. Um, but what you do to, to tempura an egg is to um, soft boil it and then peel it and then put it in the batter and then deep fry it. It's so cool. That is cool. Still, I got a tiny bit of runny yolk. Hmm. That's probably tasty too. That mm-hmm. sounds delicious. Lovely. Yeah. Like a lot of different textures going on. Yum. Final question. I mean, I think what's the weirdest thing? We talked about the weird things. Um, mm-hmm. What's the funnest thing though you've ever deep fried? <gasps> like have you deep fried something for a wedding that was really great or for mm-hmm. a friend? I but, would you know. say at a wedding, we did Zeppelin. as a as a final farewell gift for guests we fried them and then put them immediately in paper bags with powdered Mm -hmm. sugar and so they could take them and shake them and eat them which was really cute yeah Um, but me personally the most satisfying thing that I've fried um, I love uh, Thanksgiving leftovers it's my favorite thing to work with I call it my culinary olympics um, because I try to figure out new ways to eat leftovers and so I, I don't know if I had a name for it. Maybe it was like Franken leg or Franken turkey leg. But what you do is you cut out little slivers uh, of turkey leg mm-hmm. uh, so that you create these like divots in it. Mm-hmm. So that's meat, a divot, meat, a divot. And I put mashed potato in the interim and then dredged that and deep fried that. And so it was a turkey and mashed potato still attached to the leg. Wow. <laughs> Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. It's very delicious sounding. Oh, wow. All right. Well, we'll talk closer to Thanksgiving. We'll talk offline closer to Thanksgiving. Yeah. But folks, uh, if there are things that you enjoy deep frying, please sound off uh, on the Twitter account or send us a comment on Patreon. We'd love to hear it. Uh, We love deep frying. We have a deep love of deep frying, apparently. Uh, That's great. Starting the episode with donuts and ending it with uh, a crazy Franken turkey leg. Yes. Delicious. (laughs) Um, Okay, folks. uh, Thanks for joining us on episode five of Echelente. And we'll be back with more episodes of Culinary Word of the Day. Goodbye.